0: My name is Marwa Johnson. I'm a Woody woman, a part of the Birgaba Nation up in north and central Queensland, on the east coast of Queensland, north of Townsville, down to north of Rockhampton. A lot of my country has coal mining that's gone on there for decades. Country ravaged by coal mining, and I guess that's one of the main motivations for me is thinking about how we inherit our country and like how how we can stay connected. I'm fortunate enough to be... um, one of the co-directors of Youth Verdict and the First Nations lead campaigner. Um, Speaking
1: to the Waratah Mine Objections hearing, alongside their Bimblebox Alliance, Youth Verdict challenged Waratah's coal proposed 40 MTPA coal mine over seven weeks of evidence and site inspections. What were your key arguments given the evidence that was found to suggest the mine shouldn't go ahead?
0: With youth verdict we um, we're co-objectors so the court case is uh, an objection before the land court for the environmental approval and the mining lease uh, for the waratah coal project so the court case essentially it's an objection to the applications by clive palmer which he's waratah company for the Galilee Coal Project um, and it was their application for an environmental authority and a mining lease and what we did was we objected to that but we also used the Queensland Human Rights Act and attached that as well. We believe that the way to take action on climate change we need a shift in terms of how the mainstream, how Australia relates to country and how we think about the land. Growing up in Queensland where it's a very sort of resource extractive state that's been relegated as a state to exploit for coal and gas. There are a lot of young people who are now seeing that climate change is an imminent threat and wanting to take action on that. So three years ago, we filed the objective in the land court two years ago we decided that the best way for us to fight that would be rather than confusing it between is it youth versus clive who is this case for and i guess where we came to was that the way to fight for a safe climate and future for everybody is really to ensure first nations land justice and that First Nations sovereignty agendas are adhered to in terms of first law principles and how First Nations people have been experts in their own country for thousands of generations, decided to say there's a whole bunch of rights that we're arguing and we want to put First Nations people sort of at the forefront because we're the closest connected to country and also we have um, expertise in country in terms of observing climate change and how it's happening intergenerationally and how that's causing impacts to I guess the social fabric of our communities and our cultures. We decided to have exclusively First Nations witnesses and we put the cultural rights at the top section 28 of the Queensland Human Rights Act and then also arguing that um, all of the other human rights for First Nations people they are lived through our culture and so all of the human rights that we're arguing for every can be argued through arguing for First Nations cultural rights. Um, Our main argument being if this mine were to go ahead, if it were to be given its environmental authority and its mining lease, then the contributions to climate change are going to be disastrous for First Nations people. But if we keep approving new coal mines in Queensland, then we're actually really looking at a situation where the actual survival of First Nations cultures in Queensland is at threat, but also the health and the the human rights of Queenslanders as a whole. So
1: initially, what support or recourse did you receive from the broader community, including but not limited to scientists, activists, any members of parliament or council when raising these incredibly pertinent and in many ways dire concerns for your country if the coal mine were to go ahead? understanding as you just said that these mines are not only destroying sacred lands culture and human rights but render irreversible damage to the earth bidding to climate exponentially
0: um what's significant about this case is it's the first time it's considering the indirect impacts through climate change on human rights and also on the cultural rights of First Nations people. So it's not just, um, you know, in the Torres Strait or along the coast, it's from where the coals dug up to like where the impacts of climate change are being felt. In terms of support, we initially launched um, when we first, filed our um, objection three years ago and there was a lot of support at the time. At the time also there's a, there was a trend of I guess young people litigating against governments and um, proponents in terms of the injustice of um, inheriting an unsafe climate but we decided that how we do that is really about putting the steering wheel in a sense in the hands of the people who have the knowledge. In terms of informing us how to um, shift away from dependency on um, coal and fossil fuel extraction, it's taking a, a a coal mine or a coal project to court in Queensland historically just doesn't turn out well in terms of litigation. You know, coal mining has always been deemed in the public interest, and so and so I think um, in terms of the Public support and awareness. Um, I think a lot of that has really, um, you know, it's been awaiting the decision. Now we have the decision. We have something solid that we're planning, you know, to take to the government, to take to the relevant ministers, the environment minister and the minister for resources and tell them you don't have to do anything different. All you have to do is follow the recommendation of the land court. When you first started,
1: did you foresee this lasting nearly three years after you made those initial objections?
0: Personally, I have like seven, eight years experience um, working for my family council, working in Jagalingu Family Council in our resistance to the Adani now called Brabus, um, Carmichael coal mine as well on Jagalingu country in central Queensland. So... um, have been made very aware that like litigation can take really long and um especially for first nations people engaging with the legal system you know the legal system for the most part isn't set up in our favor to benefit us and it's actually designed to um create certain outcomes that adversely impact first nations people i think what's so important about this case is actually it remarries Um, First Nations rights, with human rights, with environmental law and environmental rights and brings all of those things back together again where um, I guess in order to facilitate the mining industry in Queensland, you know, all of those things have intentionally been separated out from each other Um, and now so bringing them back in together I think is is the next step and hopefully you know, um, other people who want to sort of look to our decision and understand a little bit more about how we were able to achieve our outcome. During the proceedings, there were a wide range of witnesses who
1: provided evidence. Do you want to let me know a little about a little bit about those, like the people who provided the evidence, not only the scientific evidence for climate, but those with connections to country also?
0: Um, it's not unheard of for um, courts to... Uh, such as, you know, the federal court for native title claims and whatnot to visit um, where, I guess, the claims coming from. But um, on country evidence being heard by the land court um, for the first time was one of our biggest wins, I think, that we're still celebrating in terms of litigation, litigating objections in the land court, was to get on country evidence approved. We submitted to the court that for Her Honour to be able to have all the information that she needs to make the correct decision and the process has to be in line with the Queensland Human Rights Act and so allowing for flexibility in how First Nations um, peoples give their evidence Um, but also that the, the, for the first time ever the land court travelled to where climate change is happening, travelled, land court travelled also to the mine site and received a welcome to country for the first time ever from Wanganajakalingu traditional owners up there. And so we decided to have exclusively First Nations witnesses that can talk to their Um, expertise of intergenerational knowledge of country that they have and so in terms of taking the court to where climate change is happening, we made sure that our witnesses um, were also from places where climate change is happening and, and where they can, they have the knowledge to be able to link the changes in country with how that's impacting their rights and changing the way that they're able to pass on culture to future generations. So to their children and grandchildren. Um, we have five witnesses all up, three from the Torres Strait, two from the mainland in Queensland. So a young man, Yidinji man from Gimoy, also known as Cairns. And then we've got an uncle who's a bog and water man from uh, Hopevale in Cape York. And then we've also got a family um, from Afkes, the Torres Strait. Um, two from Island representing Darnley Island, and then Aka Florence, Gachen, uh, representing Poruma, Coconut Island, which is actually um, one of the worst affected islands by rising sea levels in the Torres Strait already, uh, being a low-lying atoll in the central islands. And so went up to visit our witnesses first and see firsthand the impacts of climate change on country. Um, and then admitted to the court that, you know, this is the stuff that the court really needs to see to be able to make a an informed decision about the future of the Waratah coal project. The land court traveled to the islands, went out on the dinghy, um, went to some of the smaller like sand islands to plant seagrass that has been out by drought. We know the power of, um, Being welcomed on country and um, actually seeing, you know, being taken to where the worst impacts of climate change are happening and seeing how it's really, truly already um, uprooting and interrupting the lives of, you know, the people in these communities. And we just thought, you know, if the, if the court's going to make a decision in line with human rights, which it ha- ultimately has to at the end of the day, then it needs to be given all of the relevant evidence to make that decision. You know, the mining lobby can be lazy <laughs> a little bit in sort of like relying on the substitution argument, which has been blown out of the water in this case, but also resting on um, knowing that Queensland's committed to coal mining. Uh, into the future. But I think for the land court, it was really about, you know, these cases come before them all the time. But um, and, they're, and they're not always successful. So what's it going to take to get a win? And it was really about, well, they have to see it. We have to take them there. Um, Waratah also went, you know, in terms of like procedural fairness. <laughs> um, they also did all of the on-country stuff. Um, they were hosted as well. The, our witnesses hosted the, the land court and the. Um, Waratah at their home for dinner um, and really showed them like true hospitality and proper respect, cultural ways of living and um, showed them that, you know, this is the way of life that we want to be able to maintain and we can't do that if climate change um, goes unchecked.
1: But aside from that just being incredible that they were willing to do that happily and probably that is indicative of a good way to for everything to be done. If anyone argues with anything, well, yeah, come experience our life and then make a decision. So during the proceedings, Waratah Cole actually argued that the site was high energy producing, which would ultimately result in fewer um, greenhouse gas emissions. So what was your position or... (laughs) rebuttal to that um, argument given that there is no real reasonable argument to advocate for a coal mine given it's 2022 and in many ways there's renewables now coal should be phased
0: out. I think that also just speaks to like the confidence and the goal of the mining industry in Queensland personally um you know um this isn't the legally approved um response to that but um they just could not get on board with the human rights aspect of it you know um our first big win before the on-country evidence really was um actually being able to attach the Human Rights Act to the objection in the first place, which um, Waratah, you know, um, applied to have the human rights aspect of the case struck out and they lost on that. And so that kind of just goes a little bit to that. But in terms of how they could possibly argue that building a new coal mine is going to reduce emissions, I think it just sounds so ridiculous um you know we had climate experts we had coal experts we had expert economists and uh, the whole range of like the scientific ex- experts as well that also feeds into the substitution argument you know we've got good high quality coal in australia if we don't mine the coal um and export it then um they're going to mine like dirtier like brown coal somewhere else and that's going to be worse for emissions so because there'll be a coal mine either way and the emissions will be um, you know put into the atmosphere either way but I don't think that you could actually deduce that that reduces emissions because either way there's still a coal mine. The president was very very clear in her reasons as to her decision that it doesn't matter where the coal is burnt there is a responsibility in terms of the carbon budget of Australia, emissions targets. And if we're ever going to really realize any of these, then we need to start now and really weighing up properly the impacts versus uh, the cost versus the benefits. And I think this is the first time it's been a ruling that um, the benefits no longer outweigh the costs. So you,
1: you won uh, in, in this particular ruling, when that was passed to you, what was the energy like in the room? I know that it's been reported that there were so many supporters that it spilled out into over, overflow spaces. So what was it like being in that room, having the ruling like come forward for you guys?
0: Yeah, I will say it was a little bit of a roller coaster, sort of up and down, like is it going our way? Is it going not our way? Is it going the other way? And you know, um, I think yeah, the president, obviously she's the president, so she's like top tier at her what she does. Um, but yeah, it was very clever but also brave, understanding the weight of her decision that Um, you know, this could have far-reaching implications for other mining proposals. Um, But at the same time, she was very clear that this, um, the evidence that she weighed up um, was in relation to this mine. This decision was in relation to this particular mine. We actually had out the courtroom where the decision took place, and and also another chambers was sort of allocated for the public who had come to um, also see the decision to sit in there and watch the live stream from our courtroom. Um, and then also um, when she, you know she ultimately said in relation to the environmental authority and the mining lease applications I recommend that both of them be refused I just recall like a collective gasp in the courtroom that was just like oh my god and something just came over me I started shaking and I cried because it's like this just doesn't happen you know um two and a half years ago when I first got involved. This is the work that needs to be done because it has to be done. But to have a win is just, I don't even have the words for it. But what the president really clearly said is the coal is dug up in Queensland. It's exported from Queensland. Um, climate change is already having impacts on Queenslanders' lives and ultimately the approval of a new coal mine is going to have more impacts on the lives of Queenslanders and so irrespective of where the coal is burnt um, it's going to impact the human rights of Queenslanders and so ultimately you know recommending the refusal of the applications. I think we're still unsure about the scope of the impacts of how far and wide the this decision could reach but uh over the last two weeks um have been yeah flooded with support and i think it's becoming what what set our case apart why has it won while so many other, you know, environmentally focused um, challenges to coal mines have lost before. I think the Queensland Human Rights Act has really made the difference here. Um, And so it's so important to have human rights charters. But I think also um, really showing the First Nations cultural evidence has just, um, you know, we took the land court up to the Torres Strait and up to Far North Queensland on the mainland. Um, and we took the president of the Land Court to where climate change is happening, which I think is the first as well. And so, you know, ultimately we believe that that made the difference. Um, yeah, and now it's just about running with that decision, and I guess making the next stage of decision makers fall into line and hopefully get with the program of human rights. <laughs>